Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. If you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, and if you need a Bible, raise your hand nice and high, get them up nice and high for us. It's, uh, if you're using this Bible that that they're handing, my Bible boys are handing out, it's page 684, otherwise you're on your own, but it's the first book of the New Testament, not too hard to find, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, first book, Matthew, if you need a Bible, be our guest, take it, it's our gift to you, we also have tapes and CDs all in the back, help yourself, even if you miss different weeks, you can get those and keep, keep up, and also everything's on podcast, so everything, the sermon's on podcast and the video we'll be see, seeing in a few moments, that's part of this is on podcast, so you can listen, listen, watch on that, okay? But we are actually in Mark chapter 3. We've started the book of Mark, but we hit the end of the Mark chapter 3, and, and there's a parallel passage, Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. The, the chronology was there, so we jumped over to Matthew chapter 5 a, a while ago, and we looked at the Beatitudes. Wow, huh? And then we started looking at how Jesus brings out the law's true meaning versus what the Pharisees were teaching, you know, the guys who... We're behind killing Jesus, right? And he talked about murder, anger. He talked about adultery, lust. And now we get to divorce. Very, very sensitive subject. I know many of you have experienced the pain of of divorce, either in your marriage or as children, with parents. And our goal today is not to reopen old wounds, but to bring true healing and to really follow God's word on this whole teaching. And the title for today is Divorce, the Heart of the Matter. The heart of the matter, Matthew 5, 31 to 32. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship, the chance to really focus on you and to get our eyes off the world and the eyes on, on you. We thank you for that, Father. We thank you for the ministry before us that you've given us, the Relay for Life, and all the different ways that we can share the love of Jesus Christ. And now we ask that you would speak to us through your word. A pretty hard passage, really, in our culture to to teach. But we ask that your spirit would speak to us and strengthen our marriages and strengthen your church. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so it's no accident that Jesus, a few verses ago, just the last passage we looked at, talks about... He was talking about adultery and lust, and then he goes right from adultery and lust right to divorce. It's no accident because they're often closely connected. In fact, really, Jesus is connecting the dots for us right here. And I want to start off with a little video by the guy, I don't even know how to say his name, Jeff Betke or whatever. I don't even know how to pronounce his name. He did the Why I Hate Religion video. Well, someone sent me this one on what he did on marriage, and I just thought it was really good. It was called Sex, Marriage, and Fairy Tales. I think it's a good little lead-in to what Jesus says here. Wow. <laughs> haven't seen that in a few weeks. It still hits. Um, that's on podcast. If you want to watch it again, just go on the podcast and you can see it. But half of all marriages in our country end in divorce, common statistic. I'm going to give you a history lesson. No civilization has ever survived the breakdown of the marriage, of marriage and the family. No civilization. When the institution of marriage is messed with, it's a proof, it's a sign of a moral freefall in a country that's very close to being judged by God. 
It started in the 70s. Some of you remember the 70s uh, with a sexual revolution. And at that time, sex outside of marriage and divorce was okayed, and now it's become very, very, very common. More than half of all couples before they marry live together. Over half of kids in America today are born out of wedlock, not born to married parents. I mean, think about that. That's mind-boggling. And uh, oh, half the kids today experience divorce at, with parents. And every statistic, every study, Christian and non-Christian, secular study, says the same thing, that divorce is detrimental to children. Children of divorce, and it's not 100% every kid, but, but statistically, overall, children that go through a divorce struggle in every area, school and drug use, and you know, I mean, just down the list, it's just really devastating. That's why God doesn't want divorce, right? And now, as a country, we've reached a tipping point. We've reached a tipping point with, with the whole homosexual marriage, the gay marriage, and in fact, even this week, the whole New Hope Celebrates massive event jumping on top of that. Romans 1, if you look at Romans 1, you see a progression. Read that. It's really scary. Romans 1, 18 to 31, there's a progression that just kind of goes along, and it starts with this kind of sin and that kind of sin, and you can just follow the 70s all the way till today. And what's scary is we see what's coming next. You can see the progression all the way through Romans 1. You can map out the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, 2012. You can map it right out. And, and if there's not a revival, you can see where we're headed. It's, it's scary. But the key here, and I want to just focus on this today, is with the church. 50% of Christians get divorced. Half of Christian marriages end in divorce, too. Same as the world. If we want to save marriage, we always talk about saving marriage, saving marriage, and we need to save marriage. But if we want to save marriage, it's got to start with the church of Jesus Christ. It's got to start here. That's where it starts. And it's, our country is very similar to New Testament times. In New Testament times in Rome, Rome was ruling Israel at this time, Jesus' time. In Rome, the women would wear rings for every marriage they had, and many of them, their fingers were covered with rings. They would wear them to remember their, that spouse and this spouse. They would keep them on their fingers, kind of like a badge of honor almost. It was really sad. Israel wasn't much better. You know, I remember when we did John, Book of John years ago, and in John chapter 4, Jesus had the, the woman at the well. And he's talking to this woman who had five husbands and was living with a man who's not her husband, Right? That's, that was pretty common at that time. And it, it, just like the United States today, right? Jesus' time, our time, you can see so many parallels. And it really starts in our culture with dating. What happens with dating? Look at the dating, what all the teen shows, what kids are doing now. They, dating does not prepare people for marriage. It prepares people for divorce. Because you date this person, they have sex with them, they break up with them. They date another person, they have sex with them, they break up with them. And it just keeps on going, and then they finally get married. Well, they do, they have sex with them, they break up, but they divorce them. It's just dating, the whole dating model in our country is broken. It's preparing people for divorce. So, back to Jesus' time. There was a reason for this marriage mess. There was a reason why it was so bad in Israel. Let's see who Jesus puts the blame on here in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, he says, it has been, verse 31, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness 
causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Now this, the verse 31 here, we'll read the 31 first. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate, a certificate of divorce. That comes from Deuteronomy 24. Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 to 4, says this. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her away from his house, and if after she leaves his house she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. So this is where that verse comes from. That if someone was going to divorce his wife because of something indecent, when you would you can connect the dots, that would usually be some sexual unfaithfulness of some kind. And the Pharisees though took this teaching from Deuteronomy twenty-one. I'm sorry, Deuteronomy twenty-four verses one to four. They took it and they twisted it, and they ended up by Jesus' time teaching that you could dump your wife for any reason, for anything. Anytime you want to, you, you could just dump her. They, the Pharisees had turned God's regulation here into a license for their lust. It was really a license for lust, that they could just keep on going on. Uh, Rabbi, Rabbi Hillel, I got this from a couple of things here. One, Joan Harrison, who keep praying for Joan, going through a hard time with the whole pollen time. But Joan gave me a, a, a handout on... Divorce and remarriage, which I have several copies on the back table if you want to grab them and read them and study them. But in this, it talked about Rabbi Hillel, who was one of the most popular ones, teachers in Jesus' time that people followed. And it says here, his school of thought was, a man may divorce his wife even if she, she burned his soup or spoiled a dish for him. Rabbi Akiba taught that divorce was acceptable if he should find a woman fairer than his wife. And then this article goes on to say, Such divorces left women adrift in a male world without hope of remarriage and completely at a loss. Jesus is standing against such divorces of convenience. This is an article from Christianity Today years ago. But that, that just shows you how bad it is. And it's even like that now in, in many of the Middle Eastern countries, which now are Muslim, many of the Middle Eastern countries today, the, a, a Muslim man is allowed in some of these countries to just go up to his wife for any reason. Out of the blue and say, I divorce you, I divorce you. I think they have to say it three times in a row. I divorce you, and they're done. The marriage is over. That's what these, these women in this, these cultures still live underneath that same, uh, same thing. It's, it's, it's sad. The Josephus, you know, the Roman, the Jewish historian Josephus, which we've looked at before. He was a historian for the Romans. He, listen to what he said. He said, this was his take on Deuteronomy 24. Josephus wrote, the law runs thus, he that would be divorced from his wife for any cause whatever. Did it say that in Deuteronomy 24? For any cause whatever, as many such causes there are, let him give her a bill of divorce. And Josephus himself went on to say how he put away his wife after three children. He wasn't pleased with her anymore, so he he put her away. The the Talmudical 
writings from the Talmud, right? The Talmudical writings say this. They were very rigid. They would allow all kinds of divorce for any reason, but they were very rigid. They had, you had to write out this form of a bill, and it was, had to be 12 lines exactly. See how careful they are to follow their law, their tradition? They had to be exactly 12 lines. It wasn't 12 lines. The divorce wasn't legit. It had to be 12 lines exactly. Then the, the divorce was okay. It's just the, the hypocrisy, right? It's just, it's just so, so sad, so sad to see that. Now, God did give divorce as a regulation, right? We saw that in Deuteronomy 24. It was a regulation, not an encouragement to divorce, but a, a regulation, and it was meant to protect the women. It was a civil law, not a moral law. God was not saying divorce is good. He was not encouraging in any way. And there's a very important lesson. We're going to see this in just a minute here. An important lesson. Just because something is regulated by God in the Word of God, in the Bible, just because he regulates something does not mean that he approves of it. Understand that. Because something is regulated in the Bible does not mean God approves of it. Divorce is one case. Polygamy is another. God never approved of polygamy, but he did regulate it. God never approved of slavery, but he did regulate it. And people take these things and twist God's word and say God says it's okay. It does not mean that. We're going to see that in just a minute. It's never about an encouragement, but God is regulating a necessary evil. He knows people are going to do these things. And since they're going to do these evil things, he regulates and tries to protect the people on the, the, the wives and the slaves. He tries to provide them with some form of protection in the midst of this. And I'll give you a proof of what I'm saying. Because Jesus sets them straight and us straight. He goes on and we looked at Matthew 5. But in Matthew 19, he goes into more detail on it. In Matthew 19, verse 1 through 9, he says this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Because that's what they're teaching, right? Any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate it. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? <laughs> so it went from allowing it to now he's commanded, right? Get, you get that? Now they're saying we're commanded to send our wives away. Unbelievable, isn't it? But Jesus doesn't fall for this. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. He permitted it because of our hard hearts, slavery, polygamy, you know, divorce, many other things in the Bible that we know are wrong. God says they're wrong. Why does he regulate them? Because of our hard hearts. He's trying to provide some kind of protection for the victims of these things. But that just sets us straight. Back to verse 30, Matthew 5, verse 32, where he says, says the same thing. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife 
except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus says you can only divorce someone, not for any and every reason, but only because of adultery. Now, notice something, too. He doesn't command us to divorce somebody because of adultery. The ideal is we're not, we don't have to divorce someone. and It's not even the ideal. The ideal would be for the person who commits adultery in the marriage to come to true repentance and for the person who was wrong to, to grant forgiveness and, and keep the marriage together. Many marriages are much stronger after going through that kind of a process. So that's, that's the goal. I mean, that's the Christian goal in any marriage is to forgive and to, to have repentance and forgiveness. All right? I want to stress that. But the only biblical grounds for the possibility of divorce is adultery because the sinning spouse has broken the marriage covenant. Now, I know 1 Corinthians 7.15 talks about desertion. And desertion is also, Paul says, I'm not going to get into that whole passage, but talks about desertion by an unbelieving spouse and to let them go. That, that usually, what usually happens when one spouse deserts the other? They go off and they commit adultery, right? They go off and, and so it's, it's really the same. 99.9% of the time it's the same thing. Once again, the whole thing. Notice now, but notice something here. Jesus didn't include abuse. He said adultery. He didn't include abuse. If someone's being physically abused by their spouse, separation is the answer. Because, and I've counseled a lot of people on this, that you separate from the spouse that's abusing, you protect the wife, you protect the kids, or vice versa, you know, the husband and the kids. And, and what will happen is when you do the biblical separation, it will result in either repentance on that person who's doing the abusing, or the person's going to say, I'm not going to put up with this, and they're going to run off and commit adultery, and it's the same difference. One way or another, it's going to be resolved in a biblical way. It doesn't say anything about emotional abuse either. So many people come to me and say, I'm going to divorce my husband or I'm going to divorce my wife or I need to get a divorce because um, uh, I've been, I'm, I'm experiencing emotional abuse. All right? And once again, if it's truly emotional abuse, then separation is the key again, not divorce. Separation is the key because once again, once we do the separation, I've worked through people with this many times, they work through the separation, and the, the let's say it's the husband. The husband's emotionally abusing his wife. You know, he's, and, and it happens. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it doesn't mean you can divorce them. But you do the separation with the goal of reconciliation. And what happens is the husband, sometimes they repent, and they say, I'm wrong, and they, they go get the counseling and the help, and they do what they need to do. But other times they say, forget you, you know, you're a crazy pastor and I don't even want to be married to my wife. And they go off and find another girlfriend. Either way, it's resolved, right? Biblically resolved. That's, that's very common. But I, I have a lot of people come to me, and usually it's women, but other people come to me and they'll say, I want to divorce my spouse because of emotional, emotional abuse. And I say, well, we've got to do the separation, but not divorce. But all my... Christian friends are telling me I have the right to divorce him because he's mean. And, and uh, uh, you're the only pastor who's told me this. All my other pastors told me it's okay. You know, I, I have the right to because I know he's, he's just not a nice guy. And, and my Christian counselor told me I have the right to divorce him. Blah, 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 blah. All right? And, and I can't tell you how many times I've gone through this. And I say the same thing. I don't, care, I don't care how many of your Christian friends say it's okay or how far what pastors or counselors say or what the, how far the culture has degenerated on this. God's word is very, very clear. 
And I, I have to tell you, I've been through, I've been around the block on this, over 25 years in ministry, been through this a lot. And I've had people who after, I've had people work through it the right way, and good things have happened one way or another, good th- biblical things have happened, but I've seen a lot of people go the other way. They fought this. They've said, uh, well, all these other pastors are telling me it's okay, I'm going to divorce my husband and marry this other guy. Or, um, you know, I have the right to leave my wife because she's not needing my needs, you know. Or, um, I want to I marry someone else. I'm, divor- I'm divorced. I left my wife, and I, I want to marry another woman. And, and even, but I said, yeah, but your wife still wants to be with you, and you're a Christian, supposedly, so you need to go back to your wife, reconcile with her. You don't have a right to marry. No, I'm going to go ahead with it. You know, I'm going to find another pastor to do the, the wedding, and they do. They find other, even evangelical pastors to, to do the weddings. Uh, every time, I'm telling you, 100% of the time someone goes against God's word, it is a disaster. I could pull out letters that I've saved. They're in my files. People writing me, Pastor Chuck, I'm living in hell on earth. I should have listened to you because you're the only pastor who told me what the Bible said. And I should have listened to you because now I thought I was going to be better off in this new marriage. I thought I was going to be better off in this new relationship. I thought I didn't have to listen to what the Word of God said. And they are living in hell on earth. And they're stuck there. Unless they want to disobey God's word again. Keep on disobeying it, which some of them have done. I've dealt with some of these. They, they keep on doing it. You know, they just keep on. You know. it, 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 I'm telling you, I've never seen God bless that disobedience to God's word. It's disaster. Sooner or later, it comes out. Trust me. So, I brought up the whole remarriage thing. Let's talk about that too. Something else files. If, if you divorce your spouse, you can't remarry. Jesus is very clear on that. But if the divorce is okay, let's say you're the, the innocent victim. If the divorce is okay, the remarriage is okay and vice versa. The Westminster Catechism says this. Pull that out here. The Westminster Catechism of Faith Chapter 24, section 5 says, In the case of adultery, after marriage, it is lawful for the innocent party to sue out a divorce and after the divorce to marry another as if the offending party were dead. That's, that's a pretty common evangelical biblical teaching on, on divorce and remarriage. Because the unfaithful spouse has broken the marriage covenant, the innocent spouse is free to marry. But it's not commanded, once again. It's not, if you, first of all, you don't have to divorce the person for being unfaithful. The ideal is to bring repentance and forgiveness. That's the number one goal. If that doesn't happen, I also don't always encourage people to remarry anyway because it's, it's two-thirds of remarriages end in divorce. Fifty percent of regular, first time, two-thirds of the remarriages end in divorce. It's not always, you know, that's why Paul says it's better to remain single, that whole thing in, in, in 1 Corinthians Second Corinthians seven. I'm sorry, First Corinthians seven. One of them. First Corinthians seven. But anyway, it's not even a good idea. But let me say this: the guilty party can never remarry. Can never remarry. They must go and repent and try to be restored to their spouse. 
That's what the Bible teaches. Very clear. Now, so many are affected. What do we do? It's a big mess. All of us in our lives have been touched by divorce in some way. Whether marriage or parents or something. It's a, in our country, this is a big mess, right? For all of us. I'm not trying to hurt anybody or offend anybody, but it's a big mess. I tell everybody, start now. Let's start with now. God's mercy and grace is there for everybody. God's mercy and grace is there, but start now. If, you're, if someone just becomes a Christian, I say that's when you start. You can't go back to all these, you know, four marriages and all the other things that happen. Start at salvation. The time that you say, God, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I give my life to Jesus Christ. When we take that step of putting our faith in Jesus Christ and giving our life to them, that's 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, do you got that one? Therefore, if any was Second Corinthians five seventeen, thank you. Therefore, if any was in, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And it's just like when the missionaries went to Africa at the beginning, and, and a guy had ten wives. You know, these tribal chiefs have ten wives. What do you do with that? You're going to throw all these wives out of the, the hut? You know, no. You just start now. No more wives. You know what I mean? And, and that's what I think we have to do as a culture. As people become Christians, start now. Whatever happened, it happened, but start now. Let's start here. And, and God can do something brand new in our life. Whatever we bring into a marriage, whatever we bring into a relationship, whatever we bring into the church, whatever we bring into our relationships, he can do something brand new now. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11, which is one that we've kind of become our church verse in a way that it's been, you know, God's working in our, in our church and in, in us. It says this in there. It says, do you not know that the wicked, can you get that one up for me, Josh? Do you guys have that? I gave these verses to them last minute here. All right, I'll read it to you guys. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's what we were, but what we are is under Jesus Christ now. And, and if you've never put your faith in Christ, and you, you take that step, brand new creation, and I encourage you to do that. Now, that's that's starting point for me. Now, what if we're already divorced, and, and maybe even today you're realizing for the first time it was against God's word, and the Holy Spirit is starting to convict us? I want to encourage a few things. One is repent and ask for God's forgiveness. Repent and ask his forgiveness for any sin, right? But for this one. Second of all, I want to encourage you to ask for forgiveness. You might need to go to a spouse, ex-spouse. You might need to go to your kids. You might need to go to a church you used to be part of when when you didn't submit to what they said. and, And ask for forgiveness. So repentance, asking forgiveness. And then the third thing is reconciliation if possible. If there's any way to do the reconciliation with even an ex-spouse, any way to make that happen, if possible. We've seen that happen in our church, haven't we? It's beautiful. We've seen divorced people remarry and have great relationships. If it's possible. 
But whatever has happened, and I know sometimes it's, it's such a mangled mess, right? Whatever has happened in the past, commit to following God's word now. Let's just start now and live for Jesus Christ today. Maybe you're, you're an innocent uh, party to a divorce, or you divorce someone with biblical grounds. Once again, there's a handout from Joan Harrison in the back there. I would encourage you, on a, maybe you've been divorced for those reasons. I would, a couple of things I would say. I would say one thing is restore. If it's possible to be restored to someone, do it. God can heal. Maybe someone was unfaithful and left you, but still pray for and try for that reconciliation. God can heal. And even if, you, even if it's not possible to restore, forgiving that person is very, very important for our own spiritual good, right? Another thing is reflection. Reflect. Restore and then reflect. Even if your spouse sinned against you, I think it's almost never, and I'm not going to say never, but almost never one person's fault, 100%. Sometimes, but almost, you can always, it's, it's, it's very rarely 100% one person's fault. And it's very important that if, if someone has left us or cheated on us or whatever it is, to reflect on what, why, what could have been our part in that. What part in the marriage that where we weren't fulfilling or what, what is God trying to teach us through this process. Because, we, because in case you get remarried again, you don't want to carry the same patterns into the, to a new marriage. And to be very careful, if you're going to be remarried, be very careful. Because I've seen people make the same mistake over and over and over. They keep marrying, they, they've remarried several times. And each time they, they, make, they marry someone that does the same thing that their first or second or third spouse did. And, and they, they keep making repeat mistakes on this. And it's very important that we don't keep making those same mistakes. Once again, starting now, starting over. 2 Corinthians 6.14 is a really good verse about who to look for in marriage, whether it's your first marriage or a remarriage. It's very important. In 2 Corinthians 6.14 it says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common, or what fellowship can light have with darkness? And the idea of being yoked, the two ox being yoked together, hooked together, very important that you, if you're going to marry for the first or a remarriage, make sure the person is a committed Christian so that you're on the same page. And it's very important that we get godly advice on Godly advice before we remarry. Get a lot of good godly advice first. That's good advice for the first marriage, isn't it? <laughs> All right? Now, also, maybe you're here saying you've been unfaithful to your spouse. Maybe they don't even know about it. It's very important to confess, first of all, to God. And then the next step is very important to get counseling. Get counseling first. You don't want to just, on the car ride home, the kids are in the back seat. Oh, by the way. You know, it's, it's, this is a, something that has to be done very, through the Holy Spirit's leading and very careful. With, good, with a good counselor, even as a mediator or some, another Christian, somebody to really help with this. But it's important to confess that because that's something that's been broken between you and it needs to be confessed because it will put a wall up. Even if you rationalize the way there's a wall, a spiritual wall between you, it's very, very important to confess that. Maybe it's not even physical adultery, but maybe it's emotional adultery. Maybe you've gotten too close to somebody else besides your spouse. 
and you're too connected with them, or maybe it's through pornography, emotional pornography, adultery through pornography. Once again, get some good counseling. We have a lot of good counselors. You can talk to Kim and I, obviously, but if it's too sensitive, we can just say, hey, you got a good counselor. We refer people every week to some really good Christian counselors that can help you work through these things. Or if it's the pornography thing, we got this, this, the uh, sexual purity group, which does a phenomenal job. You can, it's in the bulletin. You can call and get connected. But we, it's very important to break that emotional adultery, too, and to protect ourselves. Maybe you're here today. And just like the, the rapper was saying earlier there, maybe you're not divorced, but you wish you were. Or you might as well be because the marriage is just so flat and so dry. Every marriage hits a crisis point. Every single marriage. I remember one time someone said, well, I don't, I, our marriage has never had that problem. And when I, I, several times people have said to me, I, I've never heard, we've never had any kind of issues like that as a couple. They're all divorced now. I'm not kidding. I'm serious. They, they, it's inevitable. Next thing I know, they're divorced. Uh, it's, it's, anyway, we all have the same struggles. In fact, there was a Paul Harvey, for what it's worth. I saved this one for this. It says, a divorce in Porto Alegre, Brazil. Brazilian farmer Romero Bittencourt is 90. Married 65 years. 12 children, 50 grandchildren, 36 great-grandchildren, just filed for divorce. He says, why? Incompatibility. (laughs) Even when you're 90, right? So That's a humorous look that every marriage struggles, right? And and, and we all go through it. Any marathon runners here? Anybody run a marathon? Half a marathon. Anybody ever run the Boston Marathon? I've never watched. I've watched it on TV. Uh, that, the uh, Boston Marathon at the 21-mile mark is Heartbreak Hill. They got this big hill at the 21-mile mark. And this is why it's so brutal. Because when you run a marathon, your body has energy, you know, whatever they're called, the sugars and the carbs and all that stuff. Proteins are all stored up. And your body runs out of the physical resources at 21 miles. That's when you, you no longer have the physical energy to keep going in this marathon, and the rest is run on fumes. It's run on guts. It's brutal. And that's where Heartbreak Hill is located. I mean, is that cruel? You know? Why there? Why couldn't it be at 13 miles, you know? No, it's at 21 miles. When the body's done, that's when the hill hits. Marriage is a lot like that, isn't it? We've been married 21 years, and we're out of energy. And a lot of, every marriage, I mean, it's amazing how, it's just common, common thing. 21 years, I'm just using 21 miles, but it could be 15 years, it could be 30 years, whatever it is. But at that point, the couple is, the husband and wife are tired, they're weary, they feel like they have nothing left for each other. And that's where the heartbreak hill is located there. But that's where God's grace begins. That's where God's grace begins when we're at the end of ourselves. We've been looking at the Beatitudes, and, and the, the whole thing with the Beatitudes is all about 
having internal joy in, in spite of the externals. And, and will we, when we hit that heartbreak hill, we have a decision. Will I obey God's word? Or listen to all my Christian friends, you know? Am I going to listen to God's word? Am I going to obey it and trust him and ask for his mercy and grace and all the things in the Beatitudes to depend on God there? Am I going to do that or am I going to quit on my faith? Quit on my marriage. Quit on my kids. Quit on my faith. What am I going to do when I hit that heartbreak kill when I'm at the end of myself? And I want to encourage you, get godly counsel. You know, everybody here will talk. Any of us struggle, we can all talk to each other. We've all been through the same things. And a lot of people here have been through marriage struggles and God's healed. And they're here. We have a lot of people here who will talk to any, anybody. And we've got some good Christian counselors. But, but all that's there for help. But the bottom line is, will we follow God's word? Will we commit to following his word and, and depend on his mercy and grace? Let's pray. How is God speaking to us this morning? Maybe we're halfway up Heartbreak Hill in our marriage or in another relationship. In any trial in our life, we're halfway up Heartbreak Hill. What are we going to do? Could be with our kids. Could be with our parents. Could be with our job. Could be with anything. We're halfway up. What are we going to do? Are we going to commit to obeying God's word? And say, God, I need your mercy and grace. Five minutes later, God, I need your mercy and grace. All day long. All week long. It's like breathing. God, I need your mercy and grace. The rest of our life. Maybe we've broken God's word in regard to marriage or the marriage covenant, and He's convicting us about making it right somehow. I know a lot of us have gone through difficult marriage situations, and kind of something we can't undo. But maybe our commitment to today is to start now. I'm going to make this marriage work. I'm going to minister to my kids the best I can in a tough situation. Even though I'm not married anymore. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. And make things right for things done in the past. Even though I can't fix them, I can still ask for forgiveness. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? During this time of prayer, will we make that commitment? Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian yet. Just kind of checking God out and then seeking. Maybe like all the rest of us, your life's a mess. (laughs) Only God knows what you're really struggling with really battling. But that's what God's grace and mercy, that's what his mercy and grace is for. 
for you, for me, for our mess. He'll bring something beautiful out of it if we'll surrender that to him. If we'll surrender our life to him. Are you ready to take that step? They have a brand new start in Jesus Christ. It's only a prayer away. Just something like, God, I, I repent. I ask for forgiveness for all the wrong I've ever done or ever will do. I ask for forgiveness. I repent and ask for forgiveness. I believe your son Jesus died on the cross to pay for that wrong I've done. To pay for my sin. And it's through him that I ask for that forgiveness. I put my faith in your son Jesus Christ. I give my life to Jesus Christ. If you've prayed that prayer of faith, no matter how imperfectly you prayed it, you've just become a brand new creation, a brand new person in Jesus Christ. And God is now your father. And he's going to start to transform you in ways you never thought possible. But I want to encourage you to let somebody know Tell me, fill out the card, email me, call me, tell me on the way out. Tell somebody about your new faith so that we can encourage you and help you and be excited for you. Father, we pray for your mercy and grace. Every one of us, we need it every day. Every minute, every second of every day, we need your mercy and grace for our marriages, for our families, for our children, for our friendships, for our parents, for our jobs, situations at school, at college, in our neighborhood. We need your mercy and grace every second of every day. I pray that if someone is has a, the pain of of something they need to get help with and get healing, that you give them the courage to reach out to somebody or to, to me or to a Christian counselor, to somebody. So that nothing can hold us back from being that new creation in Jesus Christ. Pray that in Jesus' name.